0: Welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host for today. Today we welcome Mark Miller. Mark is a career design specialist author of Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life, and host of the popular Repurpose Your Career podcast, on which I was fortunate enough to be a guest. Hi, Mark. Thanks for being with us today.
1: Well, it's great to be on this podcast. I listen to you every week.
0: Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Well, let's dive right in and talk about career pivots for people in their second half of life. Can you give us a little bit of background, Mark, on what made you focus on that audience and how is a career pivot different between people in the second half of life and the first half of life?
1: Sure. Uh, I spent much of my career in high tech. Um, IBM, two successful tech startups. Um, you might say I've been a professional career changer. and one of the things that happened to me was back in 2002, uh, I was working for a tech startup and I uh, came down a hill at, on my bicycle with my bike club and we were going up, I was going about 25 miles, and 25 miles an hour. I turned into a blind turn and hit a Toyota Corolla head on.
0: Oh, oh my God.
1: And uh, obviously I lived, uh, I tore up a knee, I broke a hip, I dislocated the shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, uh, had broke the clavicle. I had imprints, the pads of the helmet, in my head, but I had no internal injuries. and no brain injuries. I'm willing to admit to, I mm-hmm. uh, spent five days in the trauma center. They had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. Oh, by the way, I flew right smack into the middle of the SARS epidemic in Guangdong province.
0: Ah, oh, I remember that. That, is what, that. Wow. That
1: is what, that is what I call my WTF moment. Why am I doing this? Yes. Um, right? My, uh, was acquired by Lucent. We were, we didn't get rich, but we paid off the house and finished funding our son's college education. So in our late forties, we were debt free. And I said, um, you know, I bounced around and I then, uh, went off to teach high school math for a couple of years. And then I, um, I came out of there and I became involved in a job club, uh, Launchpad job club, which is the largest job club in central Texas. And I saw all kinds of folks like me, uh, all in their early 50s and late 50s, and they're all basically screwed uh, because IBM, Dell, Motorola, Freescale, all the tech companies were laying them off. And they were largely clueless as to what to do next. Um, I then Uh, I then went off and did a non, I did my teaching for two years, could not do that and stay healthy. And there's a whole story behind that. And I did a year of nonprofit work and I landed in, believe it or not, December 2007 at another successful tech startup. So I wrote out both recessions at successful tech startups. And what I saw was there were a massive number of us in the baby boom generation who'd been spit out and who was really concerned about what's going to happen to us? And the answer was, it was almost no one. And I'm going, okay, um, why? Because we're all going to retire. And I hired a uh, a university student, a history guy, who just graduated with a history degree to do some research. And the numbers he pulled up for me weren't bad. They were horrible. In terms of what? Uh, 80% of baby boomers have less than $50,000 saved for retirement.
0: I see.
1: Uh, Right? Oh, no problem. I have a state pension. I'm going to be fine. Well, there were two university professors who who found that at least in 2011, um, the if you took all the state pension funds and added them up together, they had $5 trillion in obligations and they had $1.9 trillion in assets. Mm-hmm. There is no safety anymore. Uh, and many of us are going to work into our 70s. And some of us are going to work into our 70s because we want to, because I don't want to retire like my father did. And there are others who are going to have to keep on working because they don't have enough money. And working into your 70s looks probably totally different than working in your 50s. So I, as I, if I look back on my career, I've made seven career transitions successfully. And what I noticed about them is I, and the reason where we came up with the term career pivot was every one of them was a half-step career change. In other words, I had one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world. And there was always a relationship that took me across. In other words, I never did it alone. Mm-hmm. And the challenges for those of us who are over 50, who, number one, have what I wrote. Well, I just interviewed Diane Mulcahy, who wrote the Gig Economy book. She has in her book called The the, the employee, employee Mindset Versus the Opportunity Mindset. Many of us who grew up being employees we're used to having everything done for us. You know, our company would take care of our training. Um, everything, our career path would be largely based on the corporate model. Mm-hmm. Well, that's gone. Um, so therefore, we have to take kind of a different mindset and learn how to shift and move. And the challenge for many of us who are in our 50s and 60s we have these things called obligations. Uh, the number the number right. of us who still, have, still haven't paid off our mortgages right. is large. Um, I can't tell you the number of folks. I've, I've got probably six, seven folks in my online community who were in their 60s and they still have kids in college. Oh, definitely.
0: I know a lot of people in that situation.
1: Right. So we're not in the position where you're going to be able to take a lot of risk. And a year and a half ago, I was on a panel discussion. And it was with a gentleman from New Zealand. And New Zealand has an interesting problem of the fact that when the kids graduate from college, they leave the island because there's not enough for them. So his job was to help companies retain their older workers. And his comment to me stuck with me to this day. And he says, if you want to work into your 70s, You need to plan that in your 50s because it's probably not a full-time employment. It's probably going to be a portfolio. It's probably going to be something different than what you've done because stuff is changing too fast. So, and you said that doesn't happen overnight. It has to be kind of planned out and stair-step your way into it. So, yeah, we, it's, it's more difficult for a 60-year-old to make the change than it is for a 25-year-old.
0: So let's get more specific here. I hear now the, the, the general theory and the thought process, but can you give us some examples and talk about how you break down a career pivot into small practical steps uh, and just maybe, maybe illustrate it a little bit for us?
1: Sure. The first thing is you got to know yourself. One of the biggest problems that many of us have, and this particularly, I'm I'm a class example, but I've got any number of folks I've worked with who are similar. When we left school and started our careers, we became actors. We play roles. And we get into those roles and we start playing them. And after a while, we start believing we are those roles. And what I've found is we hit our 50s and suddenly staying in character is really exhausting. I mean, I put bluntly, when I worked for IBM, I was a geek that could speak. That's what I did for a living for 10 years. I could do that in my 30s and 40s. And when I hit my 50s, wow, that was difficult. Now, I had turned myself into a big time extrovert. I ain't one. I am a big-time introvert, but I can behave like one. And one of the things that um, when I started Career Pivot, my own business coach beat into me was, what did I want to take forward and what did I want to leave behind? And that's one of the biggest challenges. We may have things that we have done in our past that we're really good at. We get paid a lot of money for. And at some point, you go, I can't do this anymore. I can't tell you the number of lawyers and salespeople I've met who are in that exact situation.
0: You know, this this example, sorry to interrupt, but this example is so relevant for relaunchers because. We sometimes say that the career break is a gift because it's the first time we allow ourselves to step back and evaluate whether we were on the right career path to begin with. And, and some of us find that we, we are on exactly the right career path and we return to something similar, but others of us realize we were fulfilling someone else's expectations or we just fell into something and it wasn't necessarily a, you know, the perfect match with our skill set and we discover it later. And so the relaunch is a time to course correct for that.
1: Yeah, I interviewed Rich Carlgaard, the publisher from Forbes, several weeks ago. He wrote the book Late Bloomer.
0: Yes, very familiar with him. And He was at our Stanford conference speaking when the book just came out. It was exciting.
1: It, it's a great book, and I think he's got a good platform uh, associated with it, is the fact that many of us, and particularly guys, because we the male brain doesn't finish developing until 25, and most women will tell you it's much later than yeah. that, uh, <laughs> That many of us don't come into our prime until our late thirties and forties, and so it's these are times to go back and look at what do I really want to go do, and, and and start looking at it. In some ways, this is similar to what uh, an eighteen to twenty-one year old will do. Is when you're eighteen years old, you don't know what you don't know, and you do, and you're told to go pick a direction. Um, hopefully you know more about yourself now. Uh, One of the things I do with uh, a lot of folks is get them to reflect back on their career and when have they been the happiest and when have they been the most miserable and why? Because I claim it's more important who we work with and the environment than what we do.
0: Hmm. So you think the goal is like you're looking for a a company or an organization with a mission that you really identify with and people who you perceive that you you would love working with and you worry less about what the actual job itself is?
1: Well, in general, if you can find the right environment, the job will probably be a good fit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so therefore when you start looking at, okay, I'm going to do something different. And and we've got a lot of folks in my online community um, who they're in their sixties and either they can't do what they used to do because it doesn't exist anymore or they're sick of what they were doing and they don't want to do it anymore. And some of these folks were really successful. So I can give you all kinds of examples of where people were, what they did just disappeared in under five years. And then they have to go, okay, what do I do next? And some of these people have to keep working, and other ones just want to keep working. And this is a good time to start evaluating. So, and and the key piece here is if you've got these obligations, you have to make these small pivots. Because if I say I'm an engineer and I suddenly want to be a pastry chef, I'm probably not going to make that in one step. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an incremental set of steps. I might become an engineer in a bakery. And then I can move on closer and closer to what I want. But more importantly, you need to go research this stuff because I've got a whole chapter in my book on what I call MSU disorder. And MSU stands for make stuff up. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, when we think we know how this new environment is going to be like, um, do you really know? Or, do you, or have you made it up? I'll use the example. I went off to teach high school math after my bike accident. I went and said, there's a shortage of math teachers. I had been teaching adults in 40 different countries, engineers for 20 years. Of course they wanted me. No, they didn't. They didn't want any guy over 40. Why? We didn't do what we're told. Hmm. I got, I have, I am. mentored my principal as we went through high school redesign in my first year of teaching. The, They didn't want us. And there there was all kinds of, I I ignored every sign that they didn't want me. Right? You know, I I applied for my teacher certification, uh, uh, alternative certification. The first question they asked me, what was my college GPA? What was, and can you, can we have the names and telephone numbers of all your previous supervisors? It wasn't for me, it was meant for kids coming out of college who didn't have education degrees. they didn't want us and so but you you've got to get in there and figure that out first rather than making stuff up right
0: well, you know, I'm thinking about um our the kids my kids orthodontist who retired and then came out of retirement and became a jewelry maker because he's still using those really fine motor skills, but he's applying it to something completely different. Yes. Uh, And that's a situation where there wasn't a lot of financial pressure. Uh, But I'm just wondering, can you pick a few um, actual examples of people who uh, retired or or were laid off or, or left a particular field and then went through this career design or redesign process and then ended up doing something else. And that worked out for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I'll use the example. I've got a guy in my online community right now who spent most of his career in state and local government and policy. And he was the CEO of an association of realtors who were driving him nuts. Um, he's ex-military spent 30 years in the military and where we've been working him through the process is he, as we went through and looked at his career, he would go into a job and he went into the job to solve a problem. And he would either stay there for three years, solve the problem and move on. Or he stayed there for five to eight years where they wouldn't let him solve the problem He'd get pissed off and leave. And he cycled that through his entire career. And so My comment to him was go find a problem you want to go solve. What he is doing now is he is now working at the small business development center four days a week. And that's kind of an interim step. He's teaching one course at the university of Maryland online. And he is, uh, he's starting up his consulting practice and, um, uh, and his, is launched his blog and it's all around transportation planning because that's what he wants to do. And, and, and by the way, by doing that portfolio will keep his interest up. So, cause he, he gets bored. He wants to do something different every two or three years. And now he can control that.
0: Right. And I just want to highlight your use of the word portfolio. So some people talk about a portfolio career and what Mark's illustrating here by, by these comments, I'm just talking to our listeners now, is this, um, is this concept of uh, you're doing four different things and you put them together and that becomes a portfolio career. Yeah, So just to define that, because I think not, maybe not everyone recognizes that term.
1: Yeah. I mean, I for myself, I have my online community. I have my books. uh, I have less one-on-one coaching now. Uh, I've been. I'm a paid speaker. Uh, I've got a. I run ads on my site now, and I have enough traffic where I can get ad revenue. And so I, I have multiple different levels of revenue coming in, and because one of the the interesting one when I started my online community. which was interesting. I expected to get a bunch of 50 somethings over half my audience is over 60 and a third are over 65.
0: Mm.
1: And the common theme is everybody wants freedom. Kind of like, sounds like the millennials, right? Uh, Everyone wants to freedom on what they want to work, how hard they want to work and when they want to work on it. Do you think
0: the answer to, to that challenge, and I'm I'm hearing that loud and clear, um, for some of our population, our relauncher population is really split. 70% of them are interested in going into uh, pretty traditional full-time corporate roles. Uh, but I, I think as people get older, there is this interest in having that control over your schedule. And I'm just curious, do you think the answer for that is ultimately in some mix of something freelance and entrepreneurial or are there other ways to get there?
1: I think it's a whole mix of things. It's doing contract work. It's doing, you know, maybe it'll be entrepreneurial, depending on how you define that. Um, It's learning how to sell your services, um in fact I've got a gentleman right now uh, I use the book Getting Naked oh, uh, which don't is Patrick, book. oh you need to get it it's Patrick Patrick Lencioni. it's a New York Times bestseller Okay um it's it's, it's on consultative selling and the idea is the, the the by the way it's a great book to be on the airplane with because it's just a blue cover and it says Getting Naked <laughs> um, oh, funny <laughs> but it's it's a story uh, around consultative selling, and it's the 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 concept behind getting naked is walking in and being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so, you're not walking in to sell your services. You're walking in to find out what their problem is, and then you give them a certain amount of time for free where you try and solve their problem, and you spend time listening. And once you understand their problems and you, and you are able to uh, gain their trust, then you can start saying, well, you know, here are the kinds of things I can do for you. But it's, it's a sales model that anyone can do, even if you're really introvert. In fact, it's better if you're an introvert because it's all about being a good listener.
0: I'll have to take a look at that. So it's really interesting. You know, Mark, let's switch gears for a minute and uh, focus on the scenario where someone decides that they just want a less stressful job going forward. So they're applying for maybe a junior role on to what they were doing before. And the recruiter or the interviewer says, you seem really overqualified or, or why? What's your motivation for applying for a junior role? Uh, I know that in your book, you advise that the per- the, uh, the candidate better have a great story to tell, but can you give some advice around that and, and what makes a great story?
1: Well, the key piece is if, if the first time you're telling that and you're being asked that is when you're talking to the recruiter, you're probably already too late. Mm-hmm. Um, we are... Uh, in fact, I've got a whole chapter in my next book, in the third edition, which is coming out this September, is on weak ties, which I know you and, and, and I relaunch talk a lot about. This is the relationships you've had in the past, where you need to harvest those relationships because uh, the, the the con the concept comes out of a 1973 Stanford uh, study by. Mark Granoventer, I think is the correct uh, spelling uh, or pronunciation, is those people who you know kind of marginally, you've known in the past, but don't know really well, they know people, a whole lot more people than people who know you really well today. Right. So, right. So this is past coworkers that you worked with the last 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Um, This might be um uh you know your your people who use who you use for your services. So things like your lawyers, your accountants, or as I joke, when I went off to teach high school math, my best networking person, my weak tie was my chiropractor.
0: (laughs) You never know. Some some people said it was their hairdresser.
1: (laughs) You got it. Yes. Um If your kids are still in school, one of your most valuable connectors may very well be your kids, friends, parents. Right. Absolutely. Because they know people that you don't know. And it's all about saying, "Okay, I want to take this lesser role. Here's why. And so when you walk in, they understand your story is already understood. This is where I claim if you're, you know, my age and you're applying on an applicant tracking system, you've probably already lost, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's, you know, the number of times I've heard on your podcast of where people have, have relaunched because of past connections of people they reach out to and say, Hey, I want to get back into the, I want to get back into the game. Can you help me? And I, again, I love your frozen in time uh, metaphor.
0: It's really true. It's so
1: true. People, you know, I've, I've, I had one woman in my online community who's she's 59 and uh, there were a number of things blew up on her uh, in her career. And, She ran into a guy she worked with 10 years prior and he said, do you want to do a project for me? Wow. And and he didn't understand the hell she'd gone through the previous two or three years. Right. He hired her for a project. One of the things the project allowed her to do was to get her mojo back, get her confidence back. Mm -hmm. And he, and he, she's just going, why is he hiring me? Well, he remembers how you were 10 15 years ago.
0: Exactly.
1: Right? That's why I said I I loved the metaphor you came up with that, you know, your reputation is frozen in time.
0: Yeah, it's it's really really
1: true. So, reaching out to people and doing this based on relationships. So, when you are um, you know, you're looking and saying, well, this is what happened. I had a uh, uh I, I left IBM in 2000 after they screwed me on my pension and I went to work for a successful tech startup. And then I taught high school math, at a year of nonprofit work. And then I got hired. I was interviewing at a tech startup, which by the way, about a half a dozen folks from my previous startup were at. And they all said, come on over. And I was 15 years older than the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. And I basically told them, I've had your job and I don't want it.
0: And how did he respond to that? Did, did he love the uh, the authenticity of that?
1: Yeah. And part of it, I walked in with authoritative. I I handed him a CD for the online training that we'd done at the previous tech startup uh, that was really, really good. And he was blown away. I said, that's all I want to do. Hmm. And I said, of course, I, of course, what I'd done the last four year four years was I taught high school math and worked in nonprofits. Uh, I I didn't, but I was upfront. I was honest, and I had my story was. He already had heard my story before I even got there. Mm,
0: that so the the idea that you have this personal handoff. They're not only bringing your resume to the top of the pile, but they're giving a little context for the person and and sort of pre-selling a little bit.
1: Oh, you betcha. I got an in because a a good, that good friend and a contractor of mine at my previous startup was working there. Hmm. And she basically walked in, you got to hire this guy. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And here's why. And I walked in and, you know, I put it bluntly, I'd been out of tech for four years uh, my brain needed to reengage because mm-hmm. uh, I was dealing in both my tech startups. I was dealing in very, very technical telecommunications, um, and I was walking. The second time, I was walking into a video conferencing startup, which I knew nothing about video. And but my my reputation preceded me through my network.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really
1: so. Powerful. I knew. Yeah. Right. And that's where with your relaunchers, your most valuable asset is your network of 10, 15 years ago. And you just have to be able to go back out and reach out to them and say, hey, I'm I'm doing this. And 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 I have an acronym that I stole. It's called asking for air. Is asking for advice, insights, and recommendations.
0: Ah, uh-huh.
1: When you ask for advice, it's a compliment. Yeah. People will rarely turn you down.
0: Yes, that, that's that's really good. Um, let me ask, let me, because I'm running out of time and there are a couple of things I want to make sure, sure I get to. Um, one is in your book, Repurpose Your Career, and you said you have a third edition coming out in September.
1: Yes, late September. All
0: right. Excellent. We'll look for that. Um, But you help people identify what they need for a happy work life in the long term. And I was just wondering about the criteria because, you know, you talked about these different situations where some people have to go back because of financial pressure. Other people go back because they're bored or, you know, they want to do something interesting or something they didn't get to do before. So, How do you, uh, you touched on this earlier, but I just want you to get into a little more detail about the criteria that you use to help people determine what happiness means for them.
1: Sure. One of the things I do is I use, um, when I work one-on-one, I use the Berkman assessment, which by the way, is primarily used with with C-level executives. But one of the things it will do is it it gives me, it tells me when you have, um, you've changed who you are. Because in nine different areas, it'll tell me you how you behave, which is what Myers-Briggs will tell you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it'll also tell you how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. My Berkman assessment is the most bizarre one you'll ever see because I did a lot of nasty things to myself over my career to make myself successful. I turn myself, um, I, I claim I am a closet introvert. I behave like a big time extrovert. I'm not. Um, I told myself that you know um, I could. I didn't need anything. I could turn. I can create anything out of dust, and I don't need any support. And I'll use the example in my last tech startup. I got in trouble for that because my boss wouldn't fund me for anything, and I went off and did it. And after four years, it kind of blew up in my face because we didn't do all the upfront work. Um, And I have all these weird behavioral patterns because I went off and I became very, very socially acceptable. I did all the socially acceptable things and I got really good at them, but that's not who I am. And that's what, that's where I say I became an actor and I can, I can now look back on my career of how I would cycle, um, I would cycle through different periods where I would go, 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 go. And then I break in my case, it was my lower back and I could see where I, you know, I could do it for a while, but then eventually I crack and, and we've all seen this. We've seen this in friends and colleagues where they, they, you know, they do things that they eventually, they, they eventually break uh, usually physically and, So is understanding my own patterns and what do I not want to do anymore? And this is the real challenging, by the way, I've, I've talked to, I don't know how many doctors and lawyers who say, I don't want to do this anymore. And they're going, but everyone tells me, Oh, you can't stop. You're so good at it. You make so much money. And they go, I hate it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and again, i what I do is is I take all these patterns, and i I'm a recovering engineer. yeah, there's a twelve-step program for that. <laughs> and i can I can re, I'm good at reading patterns, and i what I do is I take you back using the assessment to the best of times and the worst of times and get you understand. I get you how to to look at how you think and be able to to explain it. And one of the key things is at the end, I end up having you, we end up coming up with about your top 30 needs that I synthesize, have you synthesize that down to about 10. And then I have you write open-ended questions for each need to find out what exactly are you looking for and how do I get the other side to what I call spill the beans? Um, This, by the way, this comes out of the book, uh, Starting With No by Jim Camp. It's a negotiation book. And he's got a whole set of chapters on the art and science of questioning. Well, what you I, I want you to do is be able to walk in and ask have a series of open-ended questions where you can you can ask this and get the other folks to talk. And the key thing is to listen for what are you listening for and what you, if you hear it, do you need to run away as fast as possible? Right. Um, right.
0: What's the name of that book again?
1: Oh, Starting with No by Jim Camp.
0: Okay, just wanted everyone to make that, sure
1: they heard. I, I I I'd be happy to send you. I have some blog posts on uh, on a couple of his chapters. The, there are about three or four chapters on what he calls the art and science of questioning.
0: Okay, very
1: interesting. It's 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 fascinating stuff because it's learning even in an interview process applying this because what you want to do is get the other side, as he calls it, to spill the beans. And the one thing that's really critical is to understand what are the things that if they say you need to run out of there with their hair on fire. Got it. Because, right? Yeah. If, if Right? And, and b- believe in your gut that you're going, ooh, that really doesn't sound good. Uh, oh, but I can do this. And then you find out six months later you really can't.
0: Interesting. And can you say again the name of that assessment? Was it called
1: the Berkman assessment? Oh, yeah, B I R K M A N.
0: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Well, Mark, I, you know, I've so much to talk to you about, but we are going to wrap up right now. So I wanted to close by asking you our last question, which we ask all of our podcast guests. And that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today?
1: Okay. It is all about relationships. It's, as they say, there are three things you need about, about real estate, you know, location, location, location. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's relationships, relationships, relationships. Got it. If, if you're in your 50s and 60s, you have no, you've worked with a lot of people. Go work on those relationships. That's where things come from. Not from applying online, not by redoing your resume. Uh, It's, you know, all those things you have to do, but your focus has to be on the relationships and listening to what they have to say. And, you know, I'm a guy. I don't like asking for directions. I don't like asking for help. Mm -hmm. You know, I've driven through Mexico. Thank God for Ms. Google (laughs) because she tells me which where to turn Uh, because I don't want to ask for directions. Right. And the key key piece at this point in life, you are going to have have to ask for directions and you're going to have to ask for help. You're going to have to ask for air.
0: Got it. Well, that is excellent advice and a great place to leave it. Um, Mark, how can people find out more about the work that you do?
1: Um, there are a couple different places. Number one, if you're interested in my next release of my book, uh, you can go to careerpivot.com R-Y-C, which is Repurpose Your Career uh, Team, R-Y-C Team. And you, that's where you can get pre-release versions of uh, chapters. Uh, my online community, which is in beta, um, is at careerpivot.com slash community, and you can get put on a waiting list. And uh, And you always can reach me at Mark, it's M-A-R-C, my mama knew how to spell, at careerpivot.com. And, uh, and again, there's a contact me at the top of the page uh, of every page. You can always reach out to me there. Um, but yeah, it's... You know, you have to look at this as a journey and realizing that you don't have all the answers.
0: Right. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me on this podcast. As I said, I listen to you just about every week.
0: I'm so glad to hear that, Mark. It just makes me really happy that uh, to know that you're part of our listening audience. Uh, thank you for listening to 321i Relaunch, the podcast podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.